Today is March 24th, 2023, and welcome once again to the Chapter 49 podcast. My name is Larry Lannon. I'm a volunteer with Chapter 49, dealing with uh, communications and a few other things. Uh, We are very happy you've chosen to join us. We know your time is valuable, and we are glad you have chosen to spend a little time with us today. Chapter 49 represents most IRS employees in the state of Indiana, and we welcome our chapter president, who's always with us, Duncan Giles. Welcome again, Duncan. As always, it's good to be here. I'm glad we did the test. I had the wrong, uh, <laughs> had, the wrong had, had the wrong thing up, so now I've got you back. So we are now connected uh, fully and, and, and well. So uh, we, we uh, have a lot of issues to talk about today as we head into springtime. Maybe being connected like it's a good thing, Larry. I don't know. Some days yes, some days no. I'm sorry to interrupt. Just how connected are you, by the way? I, I, uh, it depends on the day. I was going to say disconnected <laughs> is something I feel quite often, but that's just a whole, that's a whole other thing. Let's talk about a number of issues we have today. We uh, want to talk about something that I, I do believe we don't talk about enough. Uh, there, there's, there, there's, there are two different ways to discuss public issues, in a serious way and in a not-so-serious way. And sometimes uh, we do post developments on our Facebook page. If you want to like or, or follow it, just go to NTEU chapter 49 indiana use that uh, uh as a search phrase on facebook and you can find us there we try to update that regularly and just what's going on in, in within the regulatory realm the federal employee realm and in congress but sometimes particularly in congress sometimes in other realms uh, <clears throat> you hear discussions of things and proposals that are made and there is a difference between a proposal and something that has either a very good chance of becoming law or is in that pipeline to become law. So, Duncan, you and I talk about a lot of issues. A couple of examples would be what's going on with telework in the Congress and within federal agencies. Uh, this proposal to claw back that eight-year plan to, to fund IRS and hire staff, upgrade our, our technology and other things. I mean, you're hearing proposals to have, have federal employees all come back to work and just stop telework, essentially. Uh, you hear proposals to just do away with that extra funding for IRS. I think we need to differentiate proposals. And, and, and let's face it, sometimes it's political grandstanding. It could be somebody from any point of view in Congress, any philosophy or party. But they, they grandstand. They want to make a headline. They want to make... Uh, some kind of an impression on their own uh, followers. Just because that happens does not necessarily mean this, whatever that proposal is, will become law. So, so give us a, a little background on this proposal versus a serious discussion and, and some issues that you've probably be see, been seeing in the news and what does and does not have any real chance of happening. Yeah, political grandstanding. I'm shocked. Shocked, I tell you, that this happens in Congress by either party. Um, yeah, apparently there was some confusion uh, from some folks over the last bulletin that came out when they saw the thing that there are some in Congress that want to uh, pull back on telework or they want to pull back the funds uh, that we got over the, uh, you know, the Reduction Act to basically fund us and get us back to where we need to be. 
these are just uh, going to be bills. They're bills that uh, come up, you know, in every single Congress. I'm uh, to age myself. You know, everything I needed to learn about a bill, I learned from Schoolhouse Rock. Uh, I'm just a bill. And, you know, but it was actually a great way of, of showing younger people exactly how it works. You know, these bills get proposed, then they get voted on. And they have to be voted on by both houses. And then, you know, if they are, it goes up to the president. Well, you know, these a lot of these proposals, bills, may not even make it out of a committee, much less go to a full House or a full Senate um, and that before it goes to the other um, the other body, be it representative to Senate or vice versa. So when you see these types of things that are happening, this is, uh, you know, if you see it in the bulletin, this is National NTU's way of keeping you informed, letting you know what's going on so that you can make your voice heard with your representative, with your senators, and let them know that you're not in favor of this. You know, if you're upset about potentially, you know, losing some telework rights, we do have contractual rights, but if they pass a law that could, you know, that would trump a contract. Um, you know, so if you're upset about some of these things, by all means, you can go to the NTU website and it'll show you very easily how you can make your voice heard on this to your representative and to your senators that you're not happy that they may want to claw money back to get the uh, extra funding the for technology for people uh, for everything that we do need or that you know if you're happy with your telework situation you know instead of expanding it a lot of people want to restrict it and you need to make your voice heard on that as well so again difference between proposal and something that has an, a genuine opportunity to become law or be passed in a budget, that kind of thing. You know, one thing I've been reading about, I did post something about this on our own Facebook page, uh, and I don't know how IRS is handling this, you can maybe tell us, but something you've dealt with as long as you've been involved in the NTEU is this whole issue of office space. Because NTU does have an opportunity to negotiate when there are office space issues coming up. And what, are, what uh, this, this particular reporter at Federal News Network found out is that even though telework is becoming more popular and the hybrid is very popular, which is mostly what IRS has, where you work part of the time uh, at a third location off in your home or second or third location off at your home, or you work in the office um, a little bit of each uh, with some limits on how, how often you can actually be at home. Well, some agencies, even though they have all these hybrid uh, and, and teleworking employees, have been hesitant to give up their office space. Two questions for you, Duncan. Number one, what's IRS doing on this? And number two, uh, what do you make uh, of this information? Yeah, it's uh, not uh, answer the second one first. It's not surprising to me at all that federal agencies want to hold on to uh, what they have. What the fear is out there, and the IRS is uh, one of these agencies, especially with uh, the Inflation Reduction Act that we got to hire more people, is that we may not need the space now, but we're going to need it in the future. What folks have to keep in mind is if you're teleworking, if you're a frequent teleworker, you know, that means that you need to be in the office twice a pay period, that you are not entitled to a desk. Literally, the IRS can say, okay, it's going to be three to one. 
uh, or it can be more negotiated locally depending upon the situation that, you know, there can be three people sharing a desk. So, you know, the folks in facilities look at these types of things across every agency and say, okay, how much space do we really need? Well, you know, like I said, they're all counting on hiring more people. They want to hire more people. And the fact is, giving up space is not as easy as it looks. Uh, you know, on the outset, it's, okay, we can just, you know, just leave. Well, no, there are leases involved. There are moving costs. Every time that you give up an office, you have to basically make it back to where it's a rentable space for the landlord. So if it's not in a federal building, you know, you're talking about spending tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, depending upon how large the office is, to make it back to a shell that the landlord can rent, and those funds have to be appropriated. So it's it's never an easy thing to do, um, but, you know, they have done it in the past. I do anticipate them doing it in the future, moving towards this. As telework becomes more accepted, um, that you will see more and more space being given up and more desk sharing going on across the IRS and other governmental agencies. And it should be pointed out that when you have new hires, these new hires are not necessarily able to telework for a period of time, correct? That's going to be the interesting thing. During the pandemic, we had people picking up their equipment and sending them home to learn on their own. Now, traditionally, and so they were, they've been teleworking ever since. Traditionally, until you reach that journey level, your full working level, that you're not, um, you know, especially in your first year, you're not supposed to be teleworking. Now, if they want to let people teleworking, NTU is not going to have any argument or disagreement with that at all. But management can turn around and say, yeah, we want these people in the office. So then it becomes the mix of, okay, how much space do we need for new hires? How long are we going to need it? How many of these new hires are going to want to telework? Because not everybody wants frequent telework. Some people do go into the office. So it's it's a, a juggling act that facilities in every agency has to figure out. And like I said, it's it's not an easy fix. All right. Something that I want to bring up that sort of dovetails what you just talked about, about this proposal versus actual chance of being enacted. <laughs> Uh, NTEU has been pushing for an 8.7% raise for the next year. The president is offering something, I think, uh, over 5%. You can give me that. I've forgotten the actual amount. But uh, NTEU is pushing for an 8.7% average raise for next year. And also, something new, 12 weeks of Family Medical Leave Act of paid leave. It's unpaid leave right now and uh, 12 weeks of paid leave outside your other leave balances. That's what uh, NTEU is pushing. Other federal unions and others are pushing for this, both in the public and private sector. These are proposed bills. Sort of tell us the status of of both of those. Yeah, we're uh, pushing hard on both of those, Larry, at a national level. You know, the 8.7% raise, we feel that, you know, with inflation the way it was, we're just trying to play catch-up. Plus, what people are getting paid in the private sector, we're trying to even that up as well. The 8.7 won't get us there, but it's a good start. The president has proposed a 5.2% raise. Um, you know, one of the things that I like about the 8.7 that 
NTU is pushing, as Tony Reardon, our national president, explained it, we're looking at a 4%, um, a 4.7% raise across the board, and then a 4% locality pay. So that, you know, people say, well, you know, you don't need as much money in Indianapolis as you do in San Francisco or New York. Well, with that 4% locality pay added in there, that would equal a lot of that out. So I think it's a very good uh, strategy and something that should be workable and understandable by folks in Congress. Whether it will end up hitting that mark or not, I don't know, but we are fighting for that. And again, you can go on the NTU website and talk to your um, talk to your congressman uh, and your senators about that. The other one, the 12 weeks of paid leave for a family medical leave. Family Medical Leave Act when it was first enacted, was, okay, you can spend time with your family, but we're not going to give you the pay for it. You can just take off. Well, the U.S. is one of the very few industrial nations across the world that doesn't have this paid family leave as part of it, and so we're trying to catch up with that. And I think so there are some folks in Congress that are listening to this, you know, because there are child care issues. There are elder care issues. There are your own health issues that you have. That, you know, there should be something you shouldn't uh, have to go without pay to take care of these types of things. And so that's what the 12 weeks of paid FMLA is, the bill is looking to do. And once again, they're trying to get the federal government to be a model for the rest of the private sector. If the private sector sees, hey, you know, the, the federal government is doing this, it's working well. Um, let's go ahead and budget for this and get it as well. And if it does work well for the federal government, Congress can also make that a law for private businesses as well. So these are two things that NTU is really pushing for. The uh, Especially the paid leave is something NTU has been pushing for years and I'm sure will continue to push just because we think it's the right thing to do. And we'll keep you posted on how these uh, proposals go through Congress. It's a long, winding process with its ups and downs. <clears throat> and we'll continue on this podcast and uh, through other communication venues to uh, keep you up to date. I want to go back a little bit historically because I became a union steward back in the late 80s and became more and more involved in union activities in the early 1990s. When Bill Clinton became president in 1993, one of the first things he did was issue an executive order calling for what's called a partnership between federal unions and federal agencies. It was really a different way of doing business. IRS started a program called TQO, Total Quality Organization. Duncan, you're not allowed to laugh. Now, uh, he is. Now, the thing I want to mention about that is this, this was a sincere effort by the union and the management to just uplift the entire agency. And way of, way of doing that is partnering on major issues, not on everything, and, but on certain issues that impact the employees. NTEU was involved before decisions were made. Well, there's, you know, partnerships sort of came and went, and that executive order came and went. But one thing that uh, has survived off and on since those years is something called pre-decisional involvement, which is very close to what partnership was envisioned to be. So I guess, Duncan, what I would like to ask, what I would ask you to do at this point is talk about this whole idea 
of, of pre-decisional involvement that goes all the way back to 93, maybe by another name. Just what impact this could have on employees in Indiana where we are and even nationally when it comes to union management relationships. Yeah, this is something that I've worked to do and done uh, many times very successfully over the years. And I know that our national folks, our national president, Tony Reardon, Vice President Doreen Greenwald, Director of Negotiations Ken Moffat, have all pushed hard for these. Pre-decisional involvement, some executives in management get, well, you just want to co-run the organization. No, no, no. God, no. Thank you. No, thank you. What we want to do is if, if, and we do this locally or we do this nationally, management has an idea of something that they want to do. Run it by us first. For God's sakes, run it by us first. We can sit there and talk about it. If there are potential pitfalls you may not have thought of, as you spoke of, Larry, of impacting the employees, we can address that. A wonderful example of this is the surge. If they'd have come to us, um, you know, when the surge issues first started coming, when they basically started getting these pile-ups of all this inventory, it would have been a much smoother and much better process than, oh my God, it's a month, you know, we're a month before total collapse. We need to get this done right now. And, you know, we, we have to pull people off the phones and we have to do this, we have to do that. Well, there was a much better way to do it and pre-decisional involvement several months prior to this because it shouldn't have been a surprise that the inventory was there and rising. Um, if it was a surprise, I'm very concerned that if we talked about this beforehand, we could have done it in a much better, more orderly manner that would have been better for the employees. The employees would have been happier, would have had more opportunities to volunteer instead of being drafted, and it would have worked out better for everyone. But instead, when you don't get pre-decisional involvement, when something is just thrust at you, then it's it's like, okay, now we're playing catch-up. It, it can become, instead of intraspace for everybody, more adversarial, which doesn't really help anyone. And, okay, you know, I'm pre-decisional. Okay, what are you trying to get to? What are your interests? What do you want to do? And I can't tell you the number of times, and I still do, have these kind of talks with managers, territory managers, you know, third-level managers, executives, what what are you trying to accomplish? Okay, you're trying to accomplish A, you want to do B. Well, C might be a better way to get there, getting you the same results as A does, but it's going to have a much less impact on employees and be much better for employees, so therefore they're going to be more willing to do it. So those are the types of things we talk about pre-decisional involvement. It's not co-running the IRS. It's basically... Uh, trying to solve problems up front rather than once it's implemented. Well, having been both a union official and a manager, I can't imagine any union official wanting to actually manage the agency. So I'm with you on that, Duncan. Uh, there's no desire to do that, but pre-decisional involvement on issues impacting the employees often does uh, – draw benefits for both sides. And you gave a great example of that surge trying to get the paper inventory done where IRS, I think, would have benefited doing pre-decisional involvement, made a very specific decision not to do that. And I think that hurt the agency as well as the employees. At NT, you come in early. I think that would have 
first of all, the inventory would have been taken care of much more quickly and the employees would have felt better about it. That's just my view, but I think that's also yours. I want to move on to something else. Um, webinars are kind of a big thing now. That's where you go on the internet and do kind of a training class, video, audio. Uh, there was a recent webinar, live one, that NTU put on dealing with workplace discrimination. So even if you missed the live version of that, you can still watch that webinar, correct? Absolutely. If you're an NTU member, you can go onto the website. It's got a lot of good information on it. Uh, not only, you know, what you're, what you can do, but what is workplace discrimination? How does it look? What is the actual legal definition? What has to happen? What type of notes? So it's something that can be very interesting and helpful to employees that they may want to take a look at. This is something you take a look at on your own time, but I think it could be beneficial for folks who are, um, you know, feeling that their workplace may not be the best because we hear I'm being discriminated against or harassed or things of that nature all the time. And oftentimes it doesn't meet that legal definition. And uh, the, this webinar is a good way to take a look at it and find out uh, what sort of legal basis that you need to have to be able to claim that. So again, that webinar is available as nteu.org. And if you're uh, registered as a member, you can access it. If you're not registered, you are a member. Do it. It's very easy. And, Duncan, is there any special thing you need to know to find it on the website? No, if you can't, if it doesn't pop up pretty quickly, which it should, then all you need to do is pop up a webinar, and they'll have those and the other webinars that are out there that um, that our great communications department, uh, led by Sheila McCormick, puts out. Yes, we've had Sheila as a guest on our podcast. Uh, does great work in the communication realm for NTU at the national level. One thing I want to mention now is that, uh, you know, we all, I wouldn't say all, but most of us who work for the federal government are part of FEHB, the Federal Employee Health Benefit Program, and there's a long list of insurers we can use, both some local ones and some national ones, depending on the type of coverage you choose. And sometimes it's a, a tough decision, but every year we all come uh, come through that. What basically happens with FEHB, it's OPM, the Office of Personnel Management, which is kind of the HR department for the entire civilian workforce. And and they, they always put out a letter about what the minimum standards will be for that FEHB program. And the letter came out recently from OPM to these insurers. And what the letter contained is something new. Uh, F, the uh, FEHB program for those insurers involved are going to be expected to include in that coverage package fertility coverage. This is a new thing, Duncan. Yeah, it's a very new thing, and it's very interesting. Um, it's one of those things, uh, you know, we do have a very seasoned workforce, so there may or may not be, you know, uh, a ton of employees who do this, but for those who do want to avail themselves of, uh, you know, doing fertility things, you know, in vitro fertilization, things of that nature, uh, this could be a huge boon to them. And I'm also thinking this is a nice recruiting tool uh, to try and get new blood in the IRS as we hire more people. So I think for the federal government, for OPM to do this, it's a good step and something that um, is forward thinking and hopefully we'll have some more options for folks that want to avail themselves of something like this. 
And uh, IRS, of course, as it looks to hire over the next eight years, will probably use this as a recruiting tool. I have a friend of mine that went to work for a startup uh, company, and she was interviewing with them, and she asked, "What, what is your parental leave policy? They looked at each other and said, well, we don't have one. Let's write one now. So, <laughs> I thought that was funny, but uh, I think fertility coverage will have an impact on on uh, future hires and, and and attracting people who want to come to work uh, for the federal government. So with that, I want to say one quick thing. Uh, we will not have a podcast next week. You can blame me. I've got some personal situations that will keep me busy next week. So we do plan to come back in two weeks. And with that in mind, Duncan Giles, your final comment. You know, oftentimes I talk to a lot of employees who are unhappy or angry um, about a whole lot of situations. You know, their job, personal things, things of that nature. And, you know, I just want to urge people, if you're not happy with something, what are you doing to work to change it? If you're not happy with your job, which is understandable with a lot of positions, are you looking? Are you actively looking for something else? Are you trying? You know, if you're not happy with your relationship, are you working at that? Are you trying to see what you can do to make it better? Or if it's beyond repair, what steps are you taking to try and make yourself happy? That's what you need to do. Happiness is an inside job. You need to do what you can to make yourself happy. So, you know, realize it's going to take action on your part to move forward in a lot of these issues. People can help. People like myself can help. We can advise we can talk to you, but bottom line is, is you're going to have to do these things to ultimately solve your situation, to make yourself happy in these types of uh, situations. You know, Duncan, when I was a union official, I always had a box of Kleenex nearby, and some of my coworkers couldn't understand why I needed that. And I said, well, I have to talk to people in my union steward duties, and you would be surprised at some of the people who totally break down when they sit down and tell me the situations they're dealing with. And, and a lot of these situations are, in fact, uh, personal situations, you know, that are happening in their lives that are impacting their work life. So, uh, yeah, I, I think uh, that's, that, that's, that's very good advice and, and well put. I'm going to make a quick comment. Just this is totally my own feeling going all the way back to when I came to work for IRS in 1983 and immediately signed up uh, to become a member of NTEU. There's a big difference in how, as an institution, NTEU runs itself and how the management, the agency runs itself. You know, you have no voice in who your immediate manager is going to be or who your next level manager is going to be or who the executives will be. This is totally within the uh, inherent responsibility and rights of the management. They have a right to decide who their top people will be. A union is run differently. Unions are democratic institutions. So, for example, Chapter 49 will soon have an election. Officers will be elected. It will be the vote of the members that will determine who wins those elections. Nationally, those elections are held by the people elected by the local chapters, and they elect the national uh, president, executive vice president. And and even the uh, other vice presidents are done and are uh, elected in a democratic manner by those uh, chapter officials. I don't think we appreciate often enough just the strength that comes from being a 
democratic institution. This is one of the great strengths of not just NTEU, but almost every union, even private or public sector in America. Some, they all have some form of democratic governing systems. So I think I just want to remind everybody just how important that is. And uh, when you have a chance to vote in a local election, don't blow it off. Pay attention, look at that ballot, find out about the candidates, cast your vote, and, and send in that vote. I just think that's one of the great strengths of, of, of any union. And with that, I will close out our Chapter 49 podcast for this uh, particular week. Again, we'll take a week off next week. I'll take responsibility for that one. I've got some personal situations to deal with, which I'll talk more about in a couple of weeks for you. But it's always a pleasure. Duncan Duncan and I do this not because we have to, but because we think it's important. And we take the time out. I take time out of my personal schedule, and Duncan takes time out of his busy schedule of being a chapter president. Because those of you in Indiana and some people nationally, I dare say internationally on occasion, actually do listen and watch this podcast. Listen to it on our audio version uh, podcast, and even in our video YouTube version of it. So we thank you for spending a little time with us once again on our Chapter 49 podcast. In the meantime, please be safe and be kind.